Osiris. Welcome to the Saint Disruption Podcast, where brilliant musicians, poets, and visionaries come together to share their creative collaborations and explore what it means to be human in these times. Episode 1. John Medeski talks about mentorship with Otiel Burbridge and Jeff Seip. Each guest shares personal stories about their interactions with Colonel Bruce Hampton that helped shape their early careers, their ensuing views on music, and values in life which in turn help shape their mentorship skills. Hi, I'm John Medeski, and I'm here with my dear, dear brothers and friends, Otiel and Jeff Seip. Great musicians who played together for many, many years. I think when I first met you guys, you were playing together. Yeah. yeah. What year was that? Probably was, 93, something like that. I think it, it was 93. It yeah. was in Knoxville, Tennessee, the first time I remember seeing you guys. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, man. Because Chuck Burley was talking about this mm-hmm. great group coming down to Knoxville. And we were like, who, who is it? What do they do? And then that night that we saw you, I was like, oh, man, this is it. Yeah, that was a... Yeah, you guys were great at conjuring up just the roots into the modern age. You know, it was just wonderful to hear all that organic stuff and the interplay. What really blew my mind was your ability to communicate to each other without saying a word. For example, you know, you'd be you know, open your eyes and close your eyes, and that was a cue. <laughs> yeah, that was one of our cues. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah, that was one of our cues. <laughs> but, you know, but, you know, the guitar player Bob Margolin... Played with Hollow yeah, yeah. for years, yeah. and he said it he, he was he once said to me, "Well, you know, ESP was part of the tradition." Yeah, because we were talking about how like you know this the whole twelve bar thing was like not really a thing at yes. first. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, yeah, well, you know, ESP was just part of the tradition. I remember I that. Like, love like, that yeah. man. Remember that cat, homesick James that Colonel Bruce loved so much. No. He, he took me to, to <laughs> El Diablo. Homesick James, this old blues dude. He went to see him. He was not following anything close to a 12-bar. But I had been playing with the Colonel for a while at that time. And I knew to just, like, change when he changes. And you can kind of feel it coming. The bass player was so frustrated. And he was having the worst time. And I could tell when Homesick was going to change. And I really wish I had gone up to him and said, Hey, man, you're clearly having a miserable time. Let me do this gig because I love this kind of thing. And you can keep all the money. Because (laughs) Colonel Bruce had showed me, like, how to do that. When we were sitting there watching, we were just laughing at how frustrated the other guy was getting. I was like, he doesn't realize, like, what a gift this is, you know? Or that's the real... That's that's how it really is. (laughs) That's how it is. You know, you follow... You follow the lead, whatever that yeah. is, the melody, the lyric. You know, you, that's, our, that's, your, that's our job. And it's you know, kind of obvious. A, it's not really that subtle. If you're, if you're listening and you're actually letting it come through you, yeah. move through you and you're part of it. You just got to, like, merge with it. And then when you do, it's like, that was the thing with Colonel Bruce. Right? I was like, it used to blow my mouth. I was like, yeah. this guy can't really play, like, what you say with chops. But yet he can do stuff that I can't do. And all the time, he'd be like, "Watch this." <laughs> no, that's just it. That's just it. Like, you wouldn't know when it would happen, but all of a sudden, it would just be like yeah. the first time. He, you know, he play. We played with him. It was with Mendesky Minor Wood. It was a Chuck Burnley gig, and I don't remember the yeah. place. It was a little tiny. 
like kind of railroad yeah. club bar thing or restaurant. I don't even know. But he was like, he said he's going to have this guy play with us. And I didn't know who he was at all. You know, we lived in New York. It was a whole different scene. I never, I didn't know. I had no idea. And I remember we just being a little skeptical. Yeah, when he walks up, you're like, this yeah, no, guy? No, but, 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 but meeting and like, you know, loving him, meeting him, but still not sure. And then we were playing, we played like one of our more complicated, we just did our set, you know, and he was sitting in and it was sort of this, it was this tune that's like kind of complicated and it had a lot of different sections and, it, and, all, and all of a sudden it just goes into this like straight ahead, really fast swing thing. And he like, like just, because he had that psychic, he had that yeah. ESP thing. He just went into this throat singing, <laughs> like right in, this, right in this part. It was like so perfect. We, I remember we all just looked at each other, like just started laughing. It was just like, okay, this guy, this guy is it. For me, I, I'd rather wait around to get those kind of moments in in a, mm -hmm. in a musical gig. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but like different people want different things from music. Yeah, you know. Mm -hmm. But there's something cathartic mm -hmm. when it's like. Mm -hmm. That mad, that real, real magic is like, oh, it's it's <laughs> worth it's worth it for me. You know, all the other, you know, to sit through all the other, you know, the, the waiting around, the setting it up, the yes. I mean, I don't want to wait like you know ten gigs to see a band eleven times and wait ten gigs to see it, but at least in a night, you know, it's like if you got to wait a little while for it to get there and for it to happen, it's. Well. But that's kind of like that. That is really like the Grateful Dead thing. Like they're they're okay to wait around for ten nights. <laughs> I know. You know what I mean? Like. And I think that's cool because they're like, man, I was there last time it happened and I'll wait because it's the same thing with us. Like, you know, from that last time, it's like, it's cool. We're good. Like, and then when it happens, you're like, this is why we do it. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, yeah, just drink it in. Water's pouring, guys. Yeah. It's a big release. Oh, man. I love that. I love it, man. Me, I met Colonel Bruce when I was 24, I think. And <laughs> I remember the night. He convinced me, and it's hard for me to tell young people this, but he told me, he said, your concept of yourself is like this. And what you really are is like limitless. But And you have to break out of this these confines that you put yourself in. And I was like, well, I don't know how to do that. And he's like, well, I do. <laughs> you know? I can do it for you, but it was the kind of thing I had to give him permission to do, you know, and I was like, have at it. And he just did one thing after another, pulled out one brick, one, like this whole side fell off from that one. And all of a sudden, before I knew it, like there was, it was all gone. Now, what I am is still in there, but he really deconstructed a lot of shit. Okay, because... You are a ridiculous bass player. You have ridiculous <laughs> chops, ridiculous ears. You could kind of do anything. Why? What is it that made you willing to let this guy? I mean, what were you looking? I mean, what were you looking for? I mean, I, I understand, but I mean, what? I, why? What? Here's the thing. What? Why? Would it you, looks like that most people wouldn't do that. No, no, most people <laughs> yeah, would like. They, you're right. Somebody comes to them with that kind of truth, and they're like, no, their ego, whatever. Oh, they can't, absolutely. They, how did you? Why? How? What? It's mystical. Like you know, part of it was that on that night he guessed my birthday within three minutes of my birthday. Ah, your name? I said, Bruce. I want you to meet. Oh, and he said August twenty fourth. 
at two in the morning. I was born at one fifty-seven, right? So I was like, so right away he just took the whole chair and just went wham. He got mine too. Yeah. So I was like, all right, you got my attention. Now I hadn't heard him play yet. And then when I heard him play, I was like, I have no idea what's going on. But you got within three minutes of my birthday. So there was a long benefit of the doubt. And also I was super frustrated with music. I went into it pure and then the music business, just like, bam. So I was yeah. so unhappy. And I was like, God, I don't even know if I made the right choice to play music. And I had put all my eggs in that basket. So I was really super frustrated. All my talents weren't helping me, like, get a house or a car or anything. Like, you know, I was damn near starving. Yeah. And he said, well, you won't make any money with me but you'll have i can bring the fun back essentially that's what he said mm-hmm. so i was like all right let's do it that so we start playing and i'm just like long benefit of the doubt and then crazy shit would just happen and i was like okay this is crazy and he's psychic i saw him just like i was just kind of entranced by the whole thing and i also i knew he was right I knew he was but right. How did you know? That's what I'm saying. Because my, my experience is most musicians don't know. It was intuitive. You, it, they get I into saw it. You know, what, you, what did, why did you want that? Half and half. Because I was miserable and because I suspected he was right. It really was intuitive. I was like, I think this guy is on to something. And so let's, let's see. Because you're not happy where you're at now. And when I look back on it, like I was going to be like a fusion musician. That's what. That's how I saw myself, yeah. as like a fusion musician. And then a lot of stuff that was in my blind spot, uh, my blind spots, he helped me see. Like the first night that I really got Howlin' Wolf, it took my head off. It took my head off. And I remember listening to Wolf, Jack of Diamonds by um, John Lee Hooker, Charlie Christian, and bluegrass and i and i was in like athens georgia all the time in atlanta and just so the southern thing and all these roots stuff and i got into really old gospel stuff i remember ghosts flying around he would be be playing duo or listening to some old gospel or howling wolf and i felt like ghosts of the south were just flying around and so it's just the magic. I was just like, yeah, just I'm in. I'm in all the way. Fucking let's do this. And then he took me to meet Sun Ra. <laughs> and it was over. It was all the way over. Like yeah. he showed me all these things that, that were that I hadn't really got before. And then it just kind of happened. And then all of a sudden we were in outer space and we were in the unknown. And I understood it philosophically and... Musically, I had a context for it because of him, and you know all that. That's a lot to try to tell, show a young person. Like I wished I could have them go play with him, rather than me trying to explain it to a younger person. But but you kind of have to be ready for them because yeah, as many people went through the Bruce Hampton camp that didn't get it, wouldn't get it. That's and it was like this is enough for me. You know, they moved on. But the people who really kind of stuck around, I think, ended up getting a piece of themselves they didn't have before. 
Well, that's what my question is. Like, why did you want that piece? I mean, you know, with all the other options out there, with all the other reasons people are making music. I mean, music, that, yeah. right? Music serves a lot of functions. He wasn't right? playing music, though. I, yeah. You know, it was yes. like performance art, and it was sonic expression backing up, you know, and he had so much energy. When I first met him, it was like laser beams were shooting out of his eyes, you know? He would just come into the room, and it was the Bruce show. Was, yeah. He had so much adrenaline. And it was contagious. Yeah. And when he went, he started laughing and, and uh, pointing out the absurd. Yeah. I started saying, you yeah, know, that's right. That is crazy. Why didn't I see that? It's yeah, they'd say, I'm crazy. Like, this stuff is crazy. Right. The way we confine ourselves is crazy. Like, to agree to this whole construct and how limited it is, is crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. once you... And, and so that... He opened the box, the freedom box, yeah. and it was like, wow, all this stuff's flying out of it. And it's like, yeah, yeah, love it. He was a, an unlikely mentor. Mm-hmm. He was, um, I met him, just short story. Uh, yeah. Dan Wall, great keyboard player, yeah. asked yeah, me, uh, yeah, uh, said, would you play a, a, a wedding? Uh, I need, need you, you know, to play, play a wedding. wedding. <laughs> and it was. <laughs> In North Georgia. And so I set up. I was there early. And Dan Wall's great keyboard player. How old, how old He's there. You? 25. Yeah. yeah. And Bob Lee on bass. And then Bruce comes in last. And he's got a young guy <laughs> setting up his equipment. And he's like, hello. And that was it, you know, until the, the downbeat. So uh, we start playing smooth jazz. And it's appropriate. And there's dancing going on. And there's the wedding cake over there. And everybody's dressed up. And it's smooth and appropriate. It's like, yeah. Yeah, you know, this is what we're here for, you know. And then Dan Wall looks over at Bruce and gives him the nod, you know, take a solo. Bruce turns all the way up, starts playing random notes with such energy. I had never heard anything like it in my life. And I thought, my first reaction was like, this is wrong. This is so inappropriate. How dare he just destroy this wedding like this? And I look over at Dan Wall and he's laughing his ass off. And he's trying to find... How he can bring Bruce in. And he can voice he's, it so Bruce is yeah. Yeah. And Right. I to, and I looked over at Bruce, and his eyes are closed, and he's like just going for it. And, and Dan Wall's laughing and trying to bring him in. I realized these guys have a very special relationship. And the very next day, Bruce calls, come to sit in at the Harvest Moon. And so I go there, and there's Joe Zambi, and then there's uh, the flautist for the symphony. And there's like almost 15 people on stage, Bill Hatcher, Randy Honey. Dude, Hatcher. Third improv into it. I look over at Randy, who's right next to me, and I said, I think I found my calling. Yeah. And he said, I think you have too. That <laughs> <laughs> was so much fun, so much freedom. I was working seven gigs, eight gigs a week, making good money. I had a great life as a young man in Atlanta. And then it, I just did the bruise and cut everything else. And it was like a vow of poverty just to go and be in that energy and learn. And then... Teal and Kofi came, and Jimmy, and, and so how, so okay. So how many years before O'Teal came into there were you doing? Eighty three, I moved to Atlanta. Eighty four, I met him, and then eighty six or seven, I met Jimmy, and then you guys came yep. to town just after that. Yeah, we played in a top forty band, and then I was like, I'm out of here. I can't do it. Yeah, and just went with Bruce. <laughs> I remember you coming into a rehearsal. We had a side band. We were playing yep. in the garage, and he said, "You put your bass down." He's like, "Oh man, I'm just so I'm not digging what I'm doing." You know, the top forty scene. I said, well, "Why don't you come out and sit in the booth?" And I 
We just have fun. We do what we want. And that was the ninety minutes. Yep. Yeah. And all these guys played with like Paul Barrier from Little Feet and the musical director from Earth, Wind, and Fire, and the drummer for Diana Ross and Bette Midler, and all the, you know, like all the top studio cats in town would go play with him and get their yayas out, you know. And so, get the medicine. Get the medicine. And that's what, when you said music serves a lot of purposes, for me, it's medicinal. It's like therapy on the couch. It's my psychedelic therapy. It's my Robitussin, <laughs> you know, like all my stuff. And it makes it, I don't want to say I'm critical of music, because I don't like musical snobbery. Like I love what Ornette says about I want to remove the caste system of sound, you know. But I'm very hard, and I have to be aware of this when I'm thinking about mentoring young kids that they might not be there yet. That for me, it's purely going to the doctor. So if it's entertainment, I'm walking. If it's, uh, and, and that's fine. Music is fine for entertainment and whatever purpose you need it for. But what I need it for is the cure. I need that medicine. Or do you either guys remember like when you were kids? What music, when, you know, how old were you when you started? And what did music do for you then? Well, my mom put headphones on her stomach when she was pregnant. So my parents are from the Bronx, born in 31 and 36. So my dad saw everything birth, like bebop, get birth. Like he was at ground zero for all of it. And I started playing drums at five. So I I realized how difficult the music was that he was into. So I never like rejected my parents' music, you know. And so I don't remember when because it happened before I actually had ears. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? But I came out to the sound of Elvin and Train and Miles and all these things. And that's my imprint on, you know, it always, not that my dad passed away. Like if Sketches of Spain comes on, now I know what it really means because it shoots me back to like yeah. earliest memories. And that, I didn't realize how medicinal it was then. It was just like, oh, this is what my house sounds like, you know? And then later, as te- as becoming a teenager, when the world just fucking started. Yeah, that's, that's an era, era I'm, I'm thinking of. That And that's when I began to need it. That's when it was like my food and water and my way through this craziness. I was like, well, I can hold on to this. Through all this crap, mm. just hold on to this rope mm. and <laughs> keep going wherever it pulls yeah, you. The know. truth, the rope of the truth. There. Yeah, you know. Well, for you, anyway. Right? That's what I guess. That's when it became sacred. Yeah. You know. Yeah. What about for you? What was your early? I started playing when I was really, really little. When I was a kid, I played anything. If yeah. there was, a, if somebody said, "You want to do this?" I would say yes, and then I go yeah. figure out how to do it. I had a teacher that told me to do that. Mm. I had a really great. Smart. When I was eleven, she was a great, great jazz teacher, Lee Shaw, amazing, amazing mind, amazing spirit, and that was her thing. She's like, "If you somebody calls you to do a gig, whatever it is, just say, say yes. yes, and then go figure out how to do it and take the gig." So I, I took that a little to an extreme, and I would play. <laughs> I would literally play whatever it is, accompanying classical stuff, big bands. I, I danced. Music at country clubs, but you know, yeah. solo background music, whatever, all kinds of stuff. My dad used to say, used to get like, you play for a goat screwing if they call, <laughs> and I was like, yes, I would. You told me yes. <laughs> yes, I would. If they call, 
But what I realized <laughs> is that, like, when I learned, so when I started improvising and, and composing, like, in the moment like that, what it did for me is what I want to share. Yeah. And whoever, and so yeah. if everybody doesn't get it, it's not for everybody. Some people, That's some right. people want music to be nostalgic. They want That's to take right. it back. Some mm-hmm. people just want to be entertained. And, yeah. and, I, and I'm not like, a, I don't really feel like, oh, music has to be, you know. There's a hundred layers. Sir. It could be whatever. Yes. But, I, but, I, but I'm saying, why, what's wrong with me? Why, you know, I could have made so many different <laughs> career wrong. choices. And then I was, you know, no, it's because I, I really want to share what did it for me. Whatever's going on in my life, whatever like weird stuff you go through, emotional, hormonal, yeah. agony, growth traumas, whatever it is, that being able to just sit and play music, whether it was by myself or with other people, just, it just like, it, I don't know, man, it's medicine. For me, it's not like, you know, the, uh, you know, oh, you know, what this kind of music is healing music. Yeah. Oh, it's just music. Yeah. You know? You know, you could be with children and Same. it just gets this thing and you're like, there it is. I've done it with Nigel before, just... Both of us playing the same drum kit, and I would improvise a thing, and he would copy it. And then we would do this call and response thing, and he would match it in time. And I was like, you know, you understand. All right, we don't need to even... Like, we just had yeah, that yeah. thing. And he was friggin' six or seven. I was like, oh. That's the Suzuki method, kind of. You know, talking about the rules <laughs> before you... Just like language, you learn to speak before you understand... Yeah. yeah. yeah Victor Wooten always says that. He goes, you don't learn to read before you learn to speak. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's true. No, it's really true. And you don't practice speaking. You just keep speaking and get better at it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. What about you? When do you when... Oh, for me, I was born in Berlin, Germany, but I was raised in Southeast Asia, in Saigon and Bangkok, Thailand. And one of the earliest memories was in uh, Vietnam, but in Bangkok, Thailand, going to the Buddhist temples, the Temple of Bells, mm. and just ringing the bells, going you know, around. And there was, uh, you could do it, you know, you weren't, you weren't encouraged to do it. You weren't like, don't touch that, you know. And that was beautiful sounds. And then my dad got uh, like a Farfisa organ. And so I would be like six or seven, and I started plunking out some melodies, and I, I found, uh, um, Twinkle, twinkle, little star. And I figured it out. And after I did that, I was like, that's really cool. <laughs> it's like, wow. You know, it was an awakening experience. Yeah. And and my mom and dad always talked about how they would find me in front of the speaker, just moving around, you know, to the radio. So they recognized that I had a thing with it. But it was 11 years old. I was invited into the school band. You know, you can pick your own instruments or circle drums. And my, my dad said, what about clarinet or flute? Yeah. You know, it's like, no, drums. Quiet. Yeah. So, and yeah. they were always really encouraging. Yeah. That's great. Really lucky, man. Especially with drums, dude. Yeah. That's every parent's nightmare. Although, it's the best instrument to start on or to play. You play drums, don't you? I did. I did. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I did. I just played percussion. I know you played. I played, drum, yeah, I played percussion in marching band and all that stuff in high school. Oh. And I had always had a drum in my house. It seems to me from a drummer's perspective, my favorite bass players are all drummers. Yeah. Yeah. And my favorite keyboard players are drummers. All our favorite musicians could probably play the drums pretty good, you know. I mean, it's important (laughs) because rhythms, right, it's the first. And it's a recognition of. It starts with rhythms. Yeah. You know, how long to hang on a note. You know, when to mute it. When to, you know, Mm -hmm. how to treat the note, note length. Yeah, drummers understand that. I think musicians coming from drums understand. Like rhythm isn't just about playing a groove or in time. Rhythm is how you place things in space. That's really important. The nuance of rhythm 
It's something that's missed a lot. That and the art of rhythm guitar playing, man. There's this guy in Birmingham, Alabama, named Glenn Butts. And you could go see him play just a duo with him and a singer. And the way he backed up singers just by himself was so orchestral, but also rhythmically rich. Um, he was a white cat, but he really, you know, when you're in the South, he had just come up and really fell in love with and studied that old tradition of comping. And I hope it's not being lost. I don't know. On the jam band scene, it's not. They haven't gone that far back like Jerry did. Jerry was way into that stuff, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So it's there. I hope they find it, you know? But this guy is just a local dude in Birmingham, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's like putting down the stuff that goes back a long way, man, and really doing it, really doing it right, man. They just had this. Uh, it was, I need to learn uh, Leo more. The music masters on Jam Cruise, and I walked up there to say hey to Henry and all the Amy and everybody, and and um, they had nine guitar players up. Guitar again? And, and yeah, <laughs> guitar again. Henry pointed out there was hey, O'Teal's here. You know, O'Teal, you have anything that you want to say? I said, yeah. How many guitar players are up there? Let's count. We counted nine, and they were trying. They were talking about dynamics and stuff. I was like. So really, seven of you should just be completely shutting up most of the time. <laughs> because it, it, he was saying, like, I'm over here, and I can't hear this guy soloing over here yeah, because there's so many. Like, every Yeah, everybody's <laughs> playing at the same time. I was like, if I was up there, I would just be like, this. I wouldn't even play because it's yeah. already been done two times over. <laughs> so three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, like, if, you know, if I'm number seven, I'm just like, I'm out, bro, you know. Yeah. Well, I think, I, but I think it gets down to like a basic important thing to try to impart is like, anytime you're playing music, you need to be listening to the whole thing. <laughs> yes. You know, I've had so many nightmare <laughs> jam session experiences. What immediately made me take a right or left turn, I guess, <laughs> from jazz was because I wanted to be a jazz piano player. You know, yeah. Like, I thought. Is just a session when I first moved to New York City where, like, I don't know, was it the Blue Note or, you know, someplace it was a jam session and I finally got my seat at the piano to play, you know, whatever tunes we were playing. And it was like, it was, I call it Night of the Living Dead. It was like the horn players were just lining up. Yeah. And they would just play. They just played whatever they were, pra whatever they had practiced whatever in the practice room. And they weren't listening to anything the rhythm section was doing. And like, you know, yeah. I grew up listening to like, the I mean, all the stuff. Yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> the Miles, the quartet was like a long time ago. Yeah. Right. And like, oh. the, talk about listening and playing, creating like, these music scapes. It was just yeah. mind blowing how backwards it was. And I, mm. and I, and I was like, you know, okay, don't listen to me. At least listen to the drummer. You know, yeah, at, like, least. at least play with the drummer <laughs> and it was just such a turnoff man i remember just saying hey. but they got some of those more things like you really got to learn how to listen to the whole and you do it's not it's not time to to do what you want to show everybody you do it's yeah. time to like really just in, be in the music and do what's going to add something to the music and make it better or you know be part of it you know the western tradition is not focused as much like on the nuance of rhythm you know, and a as lot of that rhythm and the yeah, and a lot of that rhythm guitar stuff is about that. Mm -hmm. It's the rhythmic. It's also a sensibility of yeah. supporting being yeah. being in a one hundred percent 
support mode. One hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, most guitar players are just waiting to solo. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, but it's true. I mean, and you can tell because they like play rhythm like almost as loud as they solo. Not. And I'm like, hey man, tuck that thing, tuck it. Like yeah. tuck, tuck the shirt in. You're hanging over the singer, and the yeah. singer's here tucking it, you know, like... Breathe like a horn player would. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, that's the blessing of a horn musician. You have, you to, have to phrase. You well, have yeah. to phrase. That's I mean, right. I, I think that's why, like, you know, a lot... I mean, I know that's why I kind of make noises while I'm playing, to, yeah. force, to force a breath. By vocalizing the line, I have to pause and breathe, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The accompanying is an art, man, and it's like... It's a, it's a sensibility. It's like something you have to want to do that. The joy of actually supporting somebody in a way that can, yeah, you know, help them be the best that they can be. Mm -hmm. You know, and I remember magic when it happens, isn't it? Oh. Yeah. Oh, the, you know, this, there's this record with uh, Jimmy Smith, and he's taking a solo. And I'll never forget. I was listening to it, and for some reason. You know, you can listen to a record and listen to the same record and lock in on the drums or just listen to one instrument at a time through the whole And I was kind of focused on Kenny Burrell. Mm. And the way he backed up, the way he comped underneath Jimmy Smith's solo just blew my mind. I was like, dude, that was as good as any solo you'll mm. ever hear. Mm. But he was in total support mode and it was so orchestral and just like, just master. I just my mind was blown, and that was some. That's one of the reasons I wanted to play six string. I wanted to get more into chords and understand more of that, you know. And even though I have to stay in the role of the bass player, you know, and it just showed me. It's like, man, Kofi was like that, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he you didn't was. have to be soloing while you were soloing. Mm -hmm. He just was doing stuff underneath the soloist, and then they would realize once he's gone, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Are you guys familiar with um, Coltrane meets Ellington? Yeah. Oh, In yeah. Sentimental dude. mood. Yeah. The way Duke uh, chords and accompanies, and the way he builds up to one, the release, the tension to release, his yeah. polyrhythms and stuff. Yeah. It's just wonderful. Yeah. I heard Duke, which album is that? I thought it was Monk. And I was like, that's Duke. Oh, shoot, what? Regarding spoken word, improv, uh, it's a wonderful uh, mix. Really, really invites really careful listening and careful support, creating those waves and riding the waves with with, with the message and with the delivery of the poet. But Kevin Williams runs this thing uh, in the park every Sunday, and I was invited to be part of that. Uh, that was that. There was the spoken word poetry and improv underneath it, and man, I had so much fun, and it was. It was cool. There's a lot of freedom. There's a lot of expression and a lot of just in the now. It was wonderful. Different rhythm than songs necessarily, you know? Yeah, it's kind of like creating waves yeah. of, of, of sound behind the, the words. It's, it's not about a part. It's about like creating yeah. a sonic thing that goes like this. It's like a soundtrack almost, right? It's like you're accompanying words in a different way. Like the words are not being confined to a certain form you know, that a song has to, you know, or it's not, they're not being yeah. pulled into the... Verse chorus thing. Yeah, or the musical realm. The music becomes like, it's like becomes a, a soundtrack for what's happening, which means it can go with it. It can it can pair against it. There's so many things you can do yeah. with working with the words, you know. I love it. 
I've, I've dabbled in it, but it's just been sort of part of like, you know, there was this, in New York, there was the New York Poets Poets. There's always yeah. this, some kind of scene going on around spoken word and yeah. live music, especially more jazz kind of stuff, you know, that seems to be, um, which is one of the things I think is interesting about some of the stuff that we're doing with this project is to sort of pair like, and not like, not just creating a song, not just doing hip hop, which is yeah. awesome, which is one of the reasons we love yeah. hip hop, right? Because it's yeah. like, it's taking words and rhythm and it's, it, it, yeah, it's reinvented poetry and music. You know, to also just like deal with like the, the poet, poem for what it is and put music against it that, that creates a backdrop or um, like a pairing almost to. Yeah, it's to, like wine pairings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> I'm looking forward to doing it, man. I have not done it a lot. I mean, actually, the most that I did it was with Colonel Bruce. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's great. We did we did a track we did a track with Bruce. We worked with this guy Steve Cannon. Yeah, it's got a Steve Cannon, and um, we used to work with this wow, amazing. I don't even know if it's poetry. This woman Gloria Tropp. I mean, yeah, what I is mean, it? She was like alien language. Nice, <laughs> nice. One of, the, one of the most beautiful, wildest things. And I've also worked with this band called Auction out of Russia. Have you heard these guys? Auction. Mm -hmm. They're like they incorporate a lot of stuff. They they're very modern, you know, rocky and you know everything pop rock, but also like some kind of traditional Eastern European. They have a oh, Susan like tuba it. player and stuff in there. But, and um, I like it's it. It's amazing. But I did a record with them, and I asked, you know, so what, what do the lyrics mean? And they all just <laughs> like they just all kind of snickered, and because Leonid, the the lead. Singer, he he's created his own language, and he writes these. It's but not it, had, even Russian. It, had, it has very Russian-sounding roots, you know. It's very, it, and it, <laughs> and you thought it was just there's, Russian. There's poets, yeah, yeah. In, in, who in Russia have written poems like this. It's like this sort of free language, but you, you know, dabbing into the roots to, to get into some kind of subconscious stuff. Yeah, but you play, <laughs> you, I play, you play a gig with him, and there's two thousand people singing along with his song, like <laughs> these whatever, whatever wow. it is. Yeah, whatever, whatever it is, they're not saying. They're singing along. Saying it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But you said, wow. you but do have sounds. experience with that because Bruce would go into these rants and we'd be. Oh, yeah. In the year of O'Tab when Craig became probe and Thackeray's manicures, stale salt legs, the utensils prevailed. Then came the sixes and the sensitive film, Realized Cabbage. He actually helped me get poetry. It was actually that. That poem that did it? Poem. If you want to call it It is a poem. It is, yeah. But I was like, it helped me get dot eyes. Poetry, and that's where the name Aquarium Rescue Unit is like, you know, some sliver of one of those. Yeah, it's a line of things, mm -hmm. you know, and because uh, he was changing the name of the band every week, and then we got a record deal. <laughs> Bruce, he can't keep changing the name. What's it going to be? Because Aquarium Rescue Unit, just like off the top of his head. All right, Aquarium Rescue Unit is, you know, that helped me kind of understand, and then I connected that with the out musicians like Sunrod, Cecil Taylor, Ornette, James Bloodomer, Albert Eiler. And then I'll never forget, I was hearing Sun Ra, and then it connected to like Pine Top Perkins. And I was went, oh. and I was like, oh man, it's not out. It's just old and it's not confined to this uh -huh. thing. And then, And then I just saw... The connection between everything. And I was like, okay. I say, you know, like, Bruce really, he did a number on me, man. Yeah. Really. He was good, man. Really. He really. So how do you yeah. make the, how do, how do you 
we you do that number on the kids. You know what I do is I tell them about Colonel. And I decided, I don't know why it took me so long to do this, but I said, we're just going to have our Colonel Bruce class. And we took mm. In Memory of Elizabeth Reed, right? And we played it, you know, just straight through to the solo section. And then I had everybody detune every other string. And then we, I said, just play it straight. <laughs> and then we played it, and it just went. Pfft. And everybody could not only hear it, but they could feel it. And I'm howling with laughter, just like Bruce, you know, because when you when it gets released, you're like, oh, now we got action, and everyone could. And I stopped and I said, can you all feel that? And they were everybody's mind was blown. And I said, it's just the unknown. Like you can literally step this far to the right or left or up or down of the known, and you're completely free. Mm -hmm. Right. And mm -hmm. so I just started doing those things that Colonel did to me. He was like, play for me like before you ever, the first time you picked up a bass. And I was like, dude, I've been spending my entire life <laughs> trying to not sound like that. Right. Like, to the point where I'm 180 degrees from it and I don't even know how to do it. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, what can I do to force me? And I was like, I and I turned the bass this way. <laughs> and then I looked and I had to look for, I'm on the third string. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. and he was they like, won. that's it. That's it right there. You know? And I was like, okay. <laughs> it's like when Miles told Blockman, play like you've never played before on the uh, Bitches Brew. And yeah. it sounds like he never picked up a guitar before. And that's my, that's my favorite shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. The whole singing with what I play, that was him. He had this thing where he would just go, Max Roach, and then you'd have to play like Max. Right. And then he would call somebody up, the bass player, and I have to play like the bass player. And he said, uh, George Benson. Yeah. And I think Charlie Williams was playing with us. Uh -huh. And he hesitated. I mean, it was supposed to be like that. Like, it was like yeah. Saturday Night Live. It was like performance art. And so I just jumped up to the mic and I started scatting with what I played. He always like forced me to do it and poke me with the drumstick saying, I was like, I'm not saying, you know? And then, but when you sing, you have to take a breath. And it changed my playing forever. And I wouldn't have done that if we hadn't been doing this musical skit. So yeah. I wonder, one thing I was wondering is like, it, it always did, but like I never heard him really like diss specific music. You know, he would say, I hate musicians. Yeah. yeah never, I've just, never met a musician I like. He would, you know, just, he would, he would, especially he, good ones. He would just, you know, <laughs> he would show you a room without describing it, you know, like we'd be riding around um, in the tour bus, you know, and yeah. listening to the radio. He'd turn on the radio, there's liars, <laughs> liars, <laughs> liars, pushing, you know, like looking for a station. Finally, you find something, he's like, no, nah, that's the truth. <laughs> Yeah, that would be your music. You know what he told me? 
He goes, you're not good enough to lie to me, so you should just tell the truth. Because <laughs> he loved a good lie. <laughs> like, you know, build me the Great Pyramid or the Sistine Chapel or the... Put it all the way, put it up to the Tower of Babel. And Professional go to the wrestling, right. And I can appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. But he was like, you're not, you can't, yeah. you're not good enough to do that, so you should just take all your clothes off and tell me the truth. <laughs> <laughs> and it was humbling, you know, like it really, he... He really, it could have, I guess I had such a big ego that it could survive it. But it could have just crushed my ego, man. Or I would have just said, you're full of shit. I guess I, I just think it's an amazing thing that you didn't, because most musicians with your talent, technique, skill, everything, would tell somebody like Bruce to fuck <laughs> off. You can't even play. <laughs> I know, but all but, these great players wanted to play with him. Yeah, but you, when you realize that he can play one a one note solo, that well, is he better calls than, it better he, than anything. Here's what I tell students now, and all even older musicians that are still deceived by this. He remember he would talk about transmitting. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about playing. Mm -hmm. It was like channeling. It was transmitting. So he wanted, and there's people that could transmit mm -hmm. like just hugely that didn't have chops. And oh. guys with so much chops that it was like the signal was so weak. And he was like, I'm trying to find your soul in there and I can't even hear you. I can't hear anything that's actually you. Right. And I hear your influences. But yeah. No. And so then when I got that, when I got Howlin' Wolf, and then when I got like all these people that didn't necessarily have chops, but they would just take your head off. Yeah. And interestingly enough, all a lot of my favorites that did have tons of chops loved that stuff. Then we find out, oh, Pharaoh Sanders played with Bobby Blue Bland. Whoa. I didn't know that. You know, yeah. and was it Herb Ellis? Who was it that played with Team Bo Walker? And you just find all these connections. I was watching an interview with George Coleman. He said, well, if I played with Muddy Waters, it would be like this. And I was like, oh, shit, he played with Muddy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But they, they didn't have that whole, no. you know. Hierarchy. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you, you play with a lot of younger musicians. Yeah. yeah. Why is that? Because I'm old. That's <laughs> right. Good luck. They're the only ones that are playing. You know, we're setting up, and somebody goes, are you their dad? <laughs> yeah. At least they didn't say granddad. That's happened more than now. Now it's going to be. Yeah. Right. We're getting there. <laughs> no, it's a it's a beautiful thing because we have the same spirit. I think all of our spirits are still 18. Yeah. You are. Yeah. I hear it in you. You know, that that, that young, like, yearning for, for If all you lose magic. that, you're screwed. Yeah. Right. So I, I still think on, on one level, when we get together and we're playing, we're all listening and we're all doing that yeah. thing. It's a it's an ageless uh, experience. Playing with younger cats has given me a chance to see myself mm. even even more. Like who am I as a leader? Who am I as a mentor? Yeah. And I, I hope I get this right. A couple of yeah. times I didn't, and I got uh, I was told, you know, nah, nah, you're not all that. <laughs> and I had to look at myself, and I was like, yeah, I could have done that better. I couldn't handle that better. There's a growing opportunity for me to learn uh, how to lead in a way that's uh, like like Bruce would, yeah. showing you that possibility without telling you about it, yeah. or, it's, or without judging this is right or wrong or good or bad. It's like, check this out. And then you're like, oh, wow, okay. 
it's a sacred uh, thing to do. It really is. It's humbling because it. <laughs> you're like, oh, we switch places. I'm not the young guy anymore. You know, <laughs> right. like, I used I'm to be the, the youngest. Yeah, <laughs> we were always the young guys. <laughs> you know? right. And now mm-hmm. it's like, oh wow. But I really, I, I love it. You know, that's why I love teaching up there at Full Moon because I'm older than Colonel Bruce was when he got a hold of me mm-hmm. by like over mm-hmm. ten years. Mm-hmm. You know, he was in his, what, 45? He was in his early... I met him when he was 37. Yeah, because he was early 40s. He was 40s. never 37. <laughs> <laughs> this is my, my wife, Rainbow. She was checking out some pictures, you know, of an old head to grease man or something. And found an old picture of Bruce when he's healthy, young, handsome. Yeah. Super handsome, dude. Right? Like Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando up and down, And dude. she was like, like, oh, who's that? How? Oh my yeah. God, it's Bruce. And then she she saw was the like, eyes. Right. <laughs> oh, he was a beautiful, beautiful man. Yeah. Really, really, really a beautiful man. <laughs> Do you think it's just getting lucky enough to meet someone at the right time to show you that? Like, I always had Kofi, you know what I mean? And, yeah. And he taught me how to listen to music. Colonel Bruce added another way of how to listen to music that I was like, oh. And both of them did teach me like how to zoom out and listen to it as a whole. So then you go, oh, there's my piece. I'm that leg on the table. And then there's these four legs and then there's the braces and the top. And so you could just see where you fit yeah. in the whole thing yeah. as opposed to like, when you're microscoping, now the whole thing is everything you've been working on, and that's all you and when see. You're, so when you get up, you just want to do that. Well, and when you're the only thing in your microscope. Exactly. You're the only thing in your microscope, yeah. right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I just, I got really lucky. Well, that's mentorship. With, that's like, that's yeah. like the other theme here. Is like, so who taught you that? Who was your mentor? Who was your Colonel Bruce, or did you have one in that sense? So a lot of different people along the way. I was lucky. I, I, I was like, I, when I was 11, I started taking jazz lessons. This woman was really deep. She turned me on to a lot of music. And, and she was like one of those positive forces, you know. Yeah. And she just said, said a lot of good stuff that stuck. And it's also, I just remember, I don't know, for me, it was like when I listened to the music, it was, that's what I heard. Also, partly it's like being a piano player. Yeah. Just naturally, you are put yeah. in, the, in the position of accompanying. Yeah. And I really got off on that. Like, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I like taking a solo, but yeah, I can tell. <laughs> I love finding parts, you know, yeah. I like being in there, man. And I like just that's like Kofi, he loves he loves mm-hmm. to find a part. And yeah. I, you know, when, you know, when I would play with like a big band, it was like there'd be like you know, six different soloists, and I yeah. liked and they all have different personalities, and to to con, you know, to like find ways of creating yeah. new worlds behind each one, yeah, was, six to me, different ways, to yeah, do like you know, yeah. it's taking these different places because uh-huh. like, that's how because each you know, one guy's got this whatever different vibes, and I just like doing that. You know, when I started, well, I went to music school, so I took lessons and stuff. But I, I always take lessons with um, another instrument. Like I always, I have a, yeah. I'd split with a piano, and then I would always do half my lessons each year. I'd split them with like Bob Moses was a huge yeah. mentor, oh, you know, dude, and um, Dave Holland. I did one semester. Mm. I would just because I wanted to know what like I wanted to see what other people wanted, you know. Yeah. From I think that's a good. I always tell students of mine: first of all, play drums, get a personal relationship with rhythm. Kofi was a best better drummer on flute than some drummers I know. And, um, you know. (laughs) He's kind of the only flute player. (laughs) It just, man, he would just be so fucking soft. I mean, I was like, you're killing me just rhythmically, you know. 
And the other thing I said was like really play a bunch. Like, man, when I picked up banjo, I realized some things that I was trying to do a long time ago that other people were like, you know, that's too much. And I was like, actually, no, it's not. It's not even enough. I was trying to do banjo rolls. I thought of them as just sequences, you know, yeah. but just play other instruments. Yeah. You know, when you I tell them sing with what you play, don't do it on the mic. Just sing because it'll give you perspective of a wind instrument. You know, yeah. play piano. Try a wind instrument. Try something else than what you're doing. Or like you say, even if you don't play it, take a lesson from a horn player. You know, like all my favorite players were like, like Alan Holdsworth. You know, when I heard him, I was like, is that a guitar? Like, what is that actually? But he was pulling from violin. Mm -hmm. You know, and all these different things that, you yeah. know, you have to get that holistic kind of, you got to zoom out and get out of this side of this, you know, you're the only thing in the microscope. Yeah. That's just what Bruce was trying to tell me. Don't stay in here. You know, he's trying to get me out of that microscope. Remember, he would always say, you play the same solo if you're ahead of a million dollars or if your mother died. <laughs> <laughs> and man, that hit me because uh, it's like... Yeah, you want to play what you practice. You want to show people. Yeah, well, I got yeah, this. Genuinely feeling that day. Yeah, and I'll never forget, man. I had this guitarist, Mark Kimbrell, and he couldn't help it. He was very inconsistent, as far as other players might say. But I thought yeah. he was very consistent because he always played exactly what was going on at that minute in his life. And so, if he was really frustrated, you would hear it. He would get it out. The playing wouldn't sound frustrated. <laughs> But he would get that frustration out. And when I really saw it one time, this lady came up. We are playing the small jazz club. And I guess I got the Allman Brothers gig at that point. And we're in Birmingham, Alabama. She's really drunk. And the stage is this big. So they can just walk right up to you. Yeah. She's like, play tied to the whipping post. <laughs> you know, she's just like <laughs> about to spill her drink. And he didn't want to be rude. He really wanted to cuss her out. And I watched him do it. He turned his guitar towards her and cussed her out with his guitar. guitar and i mean he called her every unspeakable name and i was just like oh that was bad Oof. <laughs> you should apologize for that one and dude she shrunk away she was fully aware uh, that she was, was being energy. cussed out from the stage yeah and i was like you're a wizard man yeah. like yeah. that was one of the deepest things i ever saw and i you know i wish i could be that honest yeah in my playing and he couldn't help it i call it the curse blessing because he was totally consistent with his heart always playing exactly what was going on yeah but if you wanted him to like play the same way or that's not what's going to happen you know and it shouldn't no you know i would ever would have thought that until i met colonel you know i think people need to take a breath from the friggin' road this constant road 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 if you never go home you never get to A, B how you actually feel. Like when I got home, when I get home, it's the next morning and I wake up and I'm like, oh, I feel the whole trip because I remember how fresh I was when I left. <laughs> mm. And then I wake up in that same bed. And I'm like, oh, I feel five years older. OK, I need to rest for a while. But if you're always rolling it over and you're never going home, you don't know how far away from shore you drifted. And then you can just die. And I've seen that happen a lot. When I met my wife, Jess, I took my band off the road, the Peacemakers, and I stayed home. And that's when I started getting a real A-B. 
And that's when I started flipping it. And now I have young kids, so I've, my aim is the exact opposite, which is to stay home as much as possible, which who does that? When you're a musician, like if you're not gigging, you're not eating. Even if you start making some money, you never like, you just keep gigging all the time. And I've seen people just like burn out or die doing that. So you got to figure out ways in life to do it. Road thing is you need to take some time at home. That's my two cents on that, you know. I mean, they call they call it take a breath, right? <laughs> you know, because I mean, the breath is rejuvenating, and it's also you know, breath is kind of maybe our first medicine. <laughs> mm. You know, it come out. It's one of yeah. two things you can control in life: your breathing mm. and your intention. Everything wow. else is kind of out of your control Dude, to that a degree. Is so true. Yeah. And also, you know, when we take a minute to to breathe. I need to do that. I need to do it more myself. But um, when you take a moment to breathe, you know, it's like take a moment to connect with yourself, to go inward Mm -hmm. and then connect to the divine or whatever it is you believe in, which you can't do when you're just moving all the time and bombarding yourself with stuff. That's a whole thing you get into. There's clearly, you know, ancient meditation methods and all kind modern meditation methods and, and all these different ways of doing that. But I think in terms of like dealing with younger musicians, like I don't we we don't know what it's like. I had to take a record, put it on, and wait, and then flip it. You know, it was a very different experience. And like you know, I didn't have what I had. However many records I had, which the collection grew, but I didn't have just endless everything. And when you're learning music, there's something to like learning one thing completely and deeply. Like, uh, uh, you know, like little of this, little of that. It's like ADD. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's built into the, it's built into the equation, you know? Yes. It's and, baked into the cake. Now. And I mean, that's the hardest, I feel like that's the hardest thing to impart. It teaches like you just, you know, what, who do you love? You'll take it, what, whoever it is. Mahalia Jackson. Yeah. Pick one song. Yeah. And listen to it over and over until you can sing every note exactly like she does without listening to it. Where it's just yeah. inside you. And you, that's, you're going to get so much more out of that than like writing down 100,000 solos, learning a million tunes. Mm-hmm. You know, everything's been played and done already. Yeah. It's about your connection. It's about your connection to each note, to each chord, to e- how, and then how one note moves to another, how one chord moves to another. It's not, you know, it's not just about learning it. It's about yeah. making it your own, however that is. And then when you play those notes, even if somebody else played them, it's going to, it's going to have that transmission in it. And you need to really slow down and to do that. And I mean, that's a little divergence from breath, but it's like, it's just what I think of. It's like, it's kind of, and we need to do that in our lives too. You know, just take a minute and I need to do it. I know I do. It's like, I'm, I'm saying something that I, (laughs) we were just, I missed you on jam cruise by a day. And then in between that and here, which was two days, you went to France and came back here. I was I tr- like, holy crap. I tried to, I took a couple of breaths. Still breathing. Oh, on the plane. I was taking a breath. <laughs> I think a breath when I got off the plane. No, I know. It's kind of crazy. But that's really it. You know, and you need, I think it's good. To, whatever it is, you know, for me, it's like I like to go to natural places with no electricity and take I, 10 days in the middle. I need to start know, doing that more. That's for me. That's like my, I resonate with that. What do you think of the breath? It reminds me of when you describe that as getting in touch with your divine self, which is, you know, ourselves are, are many layers. You know, we want to project who we want the world, you know, how the world to see us, or we have our, our silent, quiet selves, you know. And in those moments, we can connect with our greater self or a higher self or maybe a, our ultimate purpose, 
Yeah. And then uh, those are realigning times, taking those breaths, taking those minutes, those quiet times to just be with self. You know, it's really important. And I got 20 and a 22-year-old. And that whole world, that age, grew up with iPads and, yeah. and just constant bombardment. Constant. As much as they want to see from the minute they wake up to the minute they go to bed, it's just like information, information, information all the time. And I didn't grow up that way. But technology is caught up to society. Now the young people will never not know that. That's the world. But they could still get in nature because that's what I do with my kids is I force them to just get in nature. (laughs) And because we're wired for that, they snap back into it. It's like clockwork. And I'm like, ah, okay, I can win this thing. I just have to like, it may be a little bit of a war just to get them outside. But then... Once the wind's in their hair and uh-huh. in their ears and... You get a few steps birth, into that Yeah, forest. you know, then we're like, we're at the beach or whatever. It just like, it it takes hold. I always say it's like nobody inhales all the time. You have to inhale and then exhale. Mm-hmm. The sun's got to go down and come up. Like a sine wave's got to go equally down as far down as it goes up. Oh, right. You know... The pendulum swings. Yeah, you got to... Equally both ways. You've got to take that breath in life, man. If you don't, you're living an unnatural existence. Do you existence. think that we're, we're taking those minutes when we get into music deeply? I think it's the same uh, sacred space as taking a breath and being with yourself, you know, that land of discovery, that universe of unknown, you know, that you're just swimming in. I think you were talking about it as therapy, you know, music serving that purpose. It's almost like taking a breath when I go out to sit down with the kit and, and try to just go for something new, you know, being in that, that fresh moment. That's kind of like taking a breath. Yeah. For me, it's not worried about rehearsing what I got to get together for this gig, you know. It's, it's higher than that, you know. Yeah. More personal. But I think music is like nature. It gives us all that we need to know how to interact with each other and society. Yeah. Like The rules that kind of govern sensitive music is the same thing as society can yeah. learn from those yeah. those rules. Rule number one, listen. Right. <laughs> for example. I mean, really, that's rule number one. That's the best way to have empathy, right? How to listen, you know, (laughs) to really listen, like really take it all in. I find that life is like gardening, having kids, everything, a band, music. You got to weed it. You got to water it. Weeds come up. Oh, let me get that. Make sure you get it from the root, you know, and then after a long time, you have this nice thing. It's just cultivated, you know, but it takes a lot of constant work. You know, that's true. You can't be absent. You have to be like a member, a full member. Yeah. Like an inviting member. Like, come on in. Yeah. Go away for a month and see what your garden looks like. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was checking out this Jack DeJunet drum book. And in it, uh, he and his, uh, the co-author talk about how there's four ways to accompany anybody when you're in a musical situation. But the same is true for what we're doing here, having a conversation. You can uh, play exactly what the other person is playing in unison, and that has a certain effect. Or you can do the complete opposite of the whole. So you're just waiting for that opposite thing to happen. You can do something independent, and that's kind of magic too, because inevitably, if people are listening, you'll, you'll play the exact yeah. same thing by accident. And it's something you couldn't have written. It just happens. Yeah. Or you can lay out. Or you can lay out, take a breath. Right. <laughs> and I always thought that was interesting. And, and it's not only music, it's our conversation right now. I'm going to lay out. <laughs> 
Saint Disruption Podcast. Recorded and mixed by Hamilton Media Design at Sidehouse Records. You can also find more creative collaborations on all our major streaming platforms. Visit our YouTube channel for more creative content and video episodes of our podcast. Osiris.